Uh, I just want to welcome our friends joining us online and also welcome um, our friends in Edgewood. Uh, thank you for hanging out with us this morning. It's a blessing to be able to share God's word, God's truth, God's encouragement um, with you today. Um, last week, uh, Cody King um, taught us what just patience and suffering looked like as James is presenting to us. And this week, uh, we are going to wrap up the letter of James on what it looks like to not only be faithful in prayer, but just to trust the Lord in confession, uh, trust the Lord um, with uh, having dependence on Him in all things in our life, um, and putting our faith into action and being dependent on the Lord and not on ourselves or not anything on this world. And lastly, uh, we're going to wrap up with what it looks like to um, love others well and not only to call them back to the Lord, uh, but to love them um, in a way that brings repentance in their life. And so before we get started, uh, I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for the blessing and opportunity this morning just to um, teach your word. Um, your word is alive and active, and I pray that it comes alive in our hearts this morning in a way that's fruitful, in a way that's encouraging, um, and in a way that just spurs us on uh, to love and good deeds and to uh, seek our dependence and our trust in you and all things. And I pray that um, I make less of me and much of you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as we wrap up the letter in James, we're going to be in James chapter 5, uh, working through verses 13 through 20, if you'd like to turn there. And if you do not have a Bible this morning, uh, we'll have text on the screen, but we'd also love to bless you one. Uh, grab somebody after the service, and we'd love to take care of that for you. Um, but as we dive into James chapter 5, starting in verse 13, James says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. That sounds pretty practical, doesn't it? I love James, how he talks to us. It's very practical. It's very simplistic. But even though it's simple and even though it's practical, we can even overcomplicate it, can't we? And we cannot... Um, practice what he's truly saying. And so um, as we look at this word he uses suffering here, it's kakopatheo, which generally means hardships, affliction, or troubles in the, in the original language. And so when you think about that, how often do we run to things, do we seek after things, or we turn to things while we're suffering instead of going to the Lord? We do it all the time, don't we? Um, instead of praying a lot of times we can run to what? We can run to addictions. We could run to busyness of life. We could run to, um, um, let's see, serving others. We could run to food. We could run to um, just binge-watching shows instead of actually handling um, what we're truly struggling with in a way that honors the Lord. And so as simple as it sounds, if you are suffering, if you're going through hardships, afflictions, troubles, let us pray. Let us seek the Lord first before we try to run to anything else, no matter the circumstance. And there's lots of dangers in having what I call false hope or putting a worldly band-aid on certain situations in our life, because many times that's what we do. Uh, we try to put a band-aid on something on, on our own strength. We try to um, have these senses of false hope when we go through times and troubles instead of running to the Lord. And um, I'm encouraged by Psalms 46.1. I love this passage. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Friends, our refuge is found in the Lord. 
And so many times we create our own imitation refuge place that we've been holding on to for many years of our life that we run to that causes us to have isolation, causes us to have fear, shame, and guilt. And we find our own refuge that we've created for ourselves instead of finding refuge in the Lord. I'm reminded of last week's text in verse 8. James says, You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. In all of this, as we are going through suffering, as we are encouraged to have a faithful prayer life, it's going to be impossible for us to have a faithful prayer life seeking the Lord when we have going through trials and troubles if we don't have our heart established in the Lord, knowing that he is coming back, knowing that the coming of the Lord is at hand. So if we have an eternal perspective on who Christ is and what he's promised us, it's easier for us to go to him first when we are going through troubles and trials. Secondly, he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. I love this because there's a lot of times even how we don't run to the Lord in prayer when we're suffering, but we also can forget to praise him when things are going good in our life, can't we? We try to take the credit for it. Um, We forget to give him praise for what he's doing, bringing us joy. What helps me stay on focus with that is the attitude of gratitude. It's the position of my heart in all circumstances which allows me to praise God to the simplest thing of seeing a sunrise, to the simplest things of seeing a smile on my kids' faces, uh, to the most important things of seeing salvation in Christ from a sinner repenting and turning to God. But the attitude of gratitude helps us praise God in all circumstances when things are going well. So let us sing praise when things are going cheerful for us. Um, James chapter 5, verse 14, as we continue... Uh, I'm sorry, in verse, uh, in verse 14, before I move on, um, um, yeah, let's, let us read chapter, uh, verse 14 real quick. Sorry, I got confused here. He says, Is anyone um, sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I love this passage right here, and we're going to camp out here for a little bit because there's a lot to process, but Is anyone sick? Let him call on the elders of the Lord. It's a mystery to me and many in the ministry why so many people don't reach out when they're going through trials and troubles, when they're sick. Um, It's a mystery why some people don't ask for prayer. And there's many things that could cause you to not reach out and ask for prayer. But what, what breaks my heart is so many times in the ministry is I find out of pastoral care situations of somebody in the hospital or somebody passing away or somebody having a surgery or somebody having a baby or a financial need, we find out through social media, we find out through a third party, and we find out through conversations at the grocery store and the checkout line. And as a shepherd, as an elder, as a pastor, um, ministry leaders, journey group coaches, journey group leaders, all the above in shepherding structure here at Stone Point, it, it breaks my heart that we, we don't find out from that person that we are trying to shepherd. We find out through other sources. And it's a, it's a mystery to me sometimes, and, and it breaks my heart. So as, as we're working through this text, as James encourages us to let us call on the elders of the church when we're, when we're sick uh, and let them pray over them, um, I encourage you, just you're loved, you're cared for. Let your shepherds, let your journey group leaders stay in constant communication when you have any needs. And allow them to love on you. Allow them to have the blessing to love on you. And don't rob them from that blessing, whether it be physically or spiritually, a need that you have. And many of you do a fantastic job of that. 
but I think there's certain times in our life that we can feel like we can handle it on our own or we, or we don't want to burden others with trying to care for us, that we, we've got it under control. But it's not, you're not a burden, you're a blessing. And that's what the shepherds are for. Um, as James talks about anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so uh, this is so interesting, and I've studied this for years. Um, and I, I'm thankful to be able to work through it with you guys today. But this anointing with oil, um, we see two other passages of Scripture where oil was used for healing and prayer in this same sense. Uh, Mark 6.13 um, says, And they cast out many demons and anointed oil with many who were sick, and they healed them. And we see this used again in Luke 10.34. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. That's from the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so we see in these three passages, those two and the one today, the application of oil is used in a medicinal, a medicinal sense. And some may also use this passage on the application of oil and prayer as a symbol of the Holy Spirit's presence and power, as we see many times through the Old Testament. Uh, for example, uh, we see that God gave Moses exact instructions on how to make this oil, the, the sacred oil, um, and use it accordingly. And we see that on Mount Sinai when he gave the law in Exodus 30, verses 20 through, uh, 22 through 33, if you're taking notes. You can go back and reference that. But Moses applies this instruction in Leviticus 8, verses 10 through 12. Uh, it says, Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. So we see in the Old Testament, this anointing oil was used to consecrate, to set apart, to make holy. And we also um, found that oil was frequently used in the East as means of cure and very dangerous diseases. And in Egypt, it's often used in the cure of the plague. Even in Europe, it has been tried with great success for the cure of dropsy. And pure olive oil is excellent for recent wounds and bruises. In this passage, we can see that James desires the early church to use natural means of healing while looking to God to bless their obedience to trust in him. But James 5.15 ties into this, and he talks about, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, I love the words that James uses here. Um, this word prayer of faith that he uses in the original language is pistis, which means uh, the belief with the predominant idea of trust or confidence, whether in God or in Christ. And so as James is encouraging us to have a prayer of faith, he's saying, when you pray, have full confidence and trust in God or in Christ when you pray. And so a question I could ask you today is like, do you believe what you pray? Are you praying because it's just what you're supposed to do? Or when you pray, are you truly having confidence in Christ, in God, when you pray? This word he uses for save here is sozo, which is to make well, to restore health, and to heal. And so as we have a prayer of faith that's offered in confidence, we are praying that God will make well, restore, and to heal. And then he says, you're doing this for the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. What the word he uses for will raise him up is ejiro, which is a future tense verb, which means causing one to recover. And so as we look at this, um, James is saying, hey, have a prayer of faith that's offered in confidence so that it would make well, restore, and heal the one who is sick, and the Lord will 
future tense, cause one to recover. And then he says, very interesting here, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Well, the reference to sins being forgiven here adds the idea that James is considering a spiritual work of healing and not necessarily just a physical. But either way, wherever you stand in that, however you you feel about the application of oil, we should pray humbly for God's will in all things. And if God chooses to heal somebody, then praise God. Amen? If not, and we know the person has a relationship with Christ, then we know that they will be healed on the last day. And most importantly, if they are not a believer in Christ and they are sick physically, what a better time to remind them of the greatest gift of all, salvation in Jesus Christ. I I served in a pastoral care sense for many years here, and I still do. But early on in ministry, I did a lot of hospital visits. And what happens when you go to hospital visits is what you see a lot is somebody is, their heart is breaking for a family member that is, that is ill, that could be possibly dying, that very, has very short days left to live. And what happens is you want to see that person recover because you love them. You, you're not ready to let them go. But what's encouraging is if that person is a believer, we know that they're going to be made well, right? There's, there's no sorrow, there's no sickness, there's no pain in heaven. But if that person doesn't know the Lord, the greatest thing that we can do is to share the gospel with those people. Amen? Not only with them, but with their family. And what I learned early on in ministry is that our spiritual healing is way more important than any physical healing that we can ever see on the side of eternity. And I'm encouraged in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we see this story where Jesus heals a paralyzed man, where his friends bring him to Jesus, and the house is so full, there's no room for him. And so many of you know the story. They get up on the roof, and they tear a hole, and they lower their friend to Jesus. Well, Jesus sees their faith, and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And get up and take your mat and walk. What did Jesus heal first? He forgave him of his sins. And then he allowed him to get up and walk. Great encouragement, great passage to be reminded of that our spiritual need is always oversees our physical need. I love that because Christ, his, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, our spiritual rebirth, us being re, re, renewed, reborn, it's greater than any physical element that we can ever have healed on this side of eternity. And the truth of that, our separation from God due to our sin, us being made righteous through Jesus, to see a hard-hearted man or a woman or a student or a child turn from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, being reborn. If this is the only miracle that we see on this side of heaven, that we see on this side of eternity, to have our spiritual need taken care of, is that not enough for us? And if God gives us more, then praise God. But I think too many times we can put our focus on looking for signs and wonders and miracles and physical healing when we're missing out on the greatest healing that we can ever have in that salvation through Jesus Christ. So may we not forget that. And I'm encouraged of John 16, 33, where Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We, we're not promised tomorrow, my friends, and we're not promised physical healing, but we're promised spiritual healing and salvation in Jesus Christ. But we're called to seek the Lord in it all. And if, he, if it's his will for us, then praise God. And if it's not, may we be steadfast as we learned last week as we go through trials and suffering. May we be steadfast as we learn today in our prayer life, in our confidence, in our belief, in our trust in God. 
James continues in verse 16. He says, Therefore, because of all this, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. This word he used healed here is aoma. It's to make whole, to free from errors and sins, and to bring about salvation. I'm encouraged uh, from 1 Peter 2, verse 24 through 25, which um, Peter writes, He himself, which is Christ, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, which is Aoma. Um, you have been made whole, free from errors and sins to bring about salvation. So by, by Christ's wounds, by his death, you have been healed. You, for you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Friends, do y'all know the good shepherd? Do y'all know the shepherd, the overseer of your souls? His name is Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, I pray that you find him. 1 John 1, 7 through 9 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we see James 5, 16 here, as we see that we're called to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so that we can find healing, friends, may we put our confidence and faith and trust in Christ that that is true, that that is true. And may we believe what we pray when we pray because the enemy and our flesh wants us to what? Wants to keep our sins a secret, Right? Would y'all agree? Fear, shame, isolation. Those are strong oppositional forces that come on a non-believer and a Christian. Would y'all agree? It's true. But as we're called and encouraged to confess our sins, let me remind you of some truths to help us to be obedient in the Lord. So when we confess, we are agreeing with God about our rebellion. That's what we're doing. When we confess our sins, we are agreeing with God about our rebellion. And then the encouragement in that is that we have an opportunity to realize our need for God's mercy and then to receive God's grace through Christ Jesus, through our confession, because God is for you. Let me remind you of Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? You can trust God through any circumstance. There are consequences to sin, yes. God doesn't always remove our consequences, but he will see you through them. May we embrace the path that we're on of freedom, even when it's difficult as we walk with the relationship with Christ. And reject pride and embrace humility as we seek to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. Don't let pride or fear get in the way of embracing God's grace and his healing in your life. That's the problem with so many of us. We allow pride to get in the way of our healing. We, may we live in the light as 1 John teaches us. I love that passage in 1 John. If you're taking notes, I, I encourage you to go back and reflect on 1 Peter 2 and 1 John 1. But as we are called to live in the light, we are agreeing with God about our struggle. We're bringing it into the light. It's no longer in hiding. And that's where healing comes from. That's where true freedom comes from. So as we're called to pray for others, as we're called to pray for one another, so it's not just confess your sins to one another, it's also to pray for one another. So as we're called to pray for others, what keeps you from doing it? What keeps us from praying with other people? 
So if somebody comes to you and they trust you, they're confided in you, they're seeking healing through Christ and they're needing your help to point them to Christ, they, they, they give you a confession, we're called to pray for them. So pride can keep somebody from confessing, but it also keep you from praying for someone because of fear of saying something wrong. Not the right person, not me, I can't do this. Or I'm too broken myself to pray to God. How can I do it for somebody else? Anybody ever struggle with any of those three? Galatians 6.2 reminds us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love God and love others. And fear, shame, guilt, I'm not the right person. I'm not the one for this. All of that can pull us away from fulfilling the law of Christ and loving somebody well in the midst of their suffering and their trials and their confession of sin. How often have we had a chance to pray for others when they ask or share and confess? And we say we will, and we forget. We say that we'll follow up, and we don't. The greatest thing you can ever do is to pray in that very moment, because we're busy, right? We forget. We're not perfect. We forget to make a note on our phone. We forget to set an alarm on our phone. But in that moment, whether it be on the phone or in person, May we pray with that person in the moment. May we not rely on our own strength or our own words, but may we rely on God through us and in us as we are being obedient in loving God and loving others. Secondly, on this point of confessing sins to one another and praying for one another, those who hear confession of sin also have great responsibility in how they respond. Romans 8, 1 reminds us there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So our role in that is not to judge them, it's to love them. So how should we respond? Well, let's pray that we're not judgmental. Let's thank them for sharing and trusting you with their struggle. May we not invalidate their share. When you allow pride, the walls of pride to come down, and you humble yourself before the Lord, and you trust somebody with something that you've never shared in your life to seek healing and confession, the receiver of that share, that's, that's hard to listen to sometimes. And we need to make sure that we are not invalidating somebody's share when they do that. We need to make sure that we're not judging them, and we thank them for sharing. We love them well, and not only we want to pray with them, not only before, during, and after and to seek the Lord for wisdom and all of that, for healing. Please be careful not to use your human wisdom and opinions. A lot of times when we don't feel like we know God's word well enough to counsel somebody, um, we feel like we have to just fill dead space of air and talk. We feel like we have to say something positive, say something encouragement, which is not always a bad thing in certain situations, but in somebody's confession of sin and prayer, you need to use God's word as your guide. Use God's word as your counsel. So always ask yourself the question, what does God's word say about this? And please be careful not to gossip and share with anybody that's not a part of the problem or the solution as somebody seeks confession and healing with you. James makes this shift here as he used Job as an example last week. He uses Elijah as an example this week. And so we see uh, in this passage, I'm going to read it and then we'll talk about it. So James 5, 17 uh, through 18 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So why did James just put this in here like this? Um, it seems kind of odd, but as you expound on it a little bit, it makes it very clear why he did this. 
Um, focusing on the point where he says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was a very faithful man, a prophet of the Lord, to speak to the people on the behalf of God. He was, he was strong in the Lord, and God used him mightily. But he was still human. He was still flesh. He still had human nature. And so the miraculous signs and wonders that Elijah witnessed all came from the power of God, not from himself. And Elijah understood his dependence on the Lord, but he was also a fallible man. And so if you're taking notes, this is something you need to reflect back on to make it come to life for you. Um, but this is an uh, excerpt of 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18, where we see Elijah on Mount Carmel with King Ahab and 350 prophets of Baal, where the prophets of Baal were presenting their sacrifice to God. And then Elijah presents his. And you see fire come down from heaven and, and, um, and take the sacrifice. And you see God's power there. And you also see all the prophets of Baal get killed by sword. You see Elijah outrunning the chariot on the way back down the mountain as he prayed for rain and the rain comes back. But then Jezebel finds out about what happened. And Jezebel's threat that she said that she was going to do what uh, Elijah did to the prophets of Baal to him, to kill him, what does he do? After he sees all the miraculous signs and wonders of God and God's power, he runs and he hides. He isolates himself in fear and he prays to God to let me die. Now, how do you see something happen like that after you see a miraculous signs and wonders? His full dependence on God, but he still was a fallible man. And so James inserts this here to say, hey, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, but he had fervent prayer. God used him mightily to show God's power for us as humans on this earth, but he was also a man that needed full dependence on God as he was obviously physically exhausted and spiritually exhausted from doing ministry, but he just wanted to curl up and die and isolated himself. But God what? He, God sent an angel to take care of his needs, to restore him. I love how James uses this as an example, not only for us, as, as we can be dependent on God for so many things, but then we can also turn to our self-reliance and we can fall back on, we got our own way figured out instead of continuing to pursue the Lord. I, I wanna move to another example of faithful prayer and how we can fall on self-reliance in our flesh as we see an example of prayer from Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 26, 36 through 46, as we see him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus is in the garden uh, the night that he's arrested and he's praying and he asks the disciples to pray and watch with him. Verse 41, um, he says to Peter, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation, that the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. So three times Jesus goes back and finds the disciples sleeping as he is praying fervently, bleeding, uh, sweating blood drops because he knows that he is receiving the cup of wrath of the sin of humanity, and he's fixing to die on the tree for all of us in the coming days from this point forward. And so uh, I love this passage because even for me personally in my prayer life where I struggle, I can fall back on self-reliance versus dependence on the Lord. In my personal struggle of prayer, I, I can fall asleep praying. Um, I cannot be on my knees all the time. Um, I, could, um, I could pray to God um, for things that um, would seem um, not that important. And I can forget to pray for others. And so as, I, as I'm reading through this passage, I'm like, I'm like, man, how often have I fell on self-reliance myself instead of daily dependence on the Lord? And so a fervent, strong prayer life depends on our position of our hearts towards the Lord. Uh, 
and self-reliance versus daily dependence. Which one do you land in? Like, because we're all flesh, right? Our human nature tends that we, our way is better. And then typically we, we run and we hit a wall and we realize we can't go any further. And then we go, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it your way now. Um, self-reliance is, is a struggle for many of us. Pride is a killer for dependence on God. We can think our way is better. Um, there's a prayer guide that we used uh, several times here around Stone Point. Um, we've presented it from stage before, but I'm going to do it again this morning because it's so um, suiting for this text today as we're talking about prayer. Um, and so too often we pray to God like he's a genie in a bottle. Too often we pray to God like he's a 911 phone call. Uh, we run to God uh, with our hearts not in the right position. And so this, this cat is prayer guide reference is fantastic. And so when we pray... Let's start with a confession. And so as we see a confession, it's to confess areas of pride or self-reliance or personal sin in our life. That would be the first one on confession. Y'all put, there it is. Y'all see it now. And then adoration. Um, how, may we adorn God and bless his name. May we pray using psalms of scripture as we pray to adorn his name. May we be thankful. May we pray in a thanksgiving May we thank God for what he has done for us, not only spiritually, but physically. And then intercession. May we pray with others, spiritually, emotionally, their physical needs. And then may we present our request to God, which is supplication. Present our personal request to God and ask God to align our heart with his. And so too many times, as I was saying earlier, um, I will go straight to intercession and supplication when I pray. Or straight to supplication because I'm tired or I'm stressed or I'm anxious and, and I just I know I need to pray and I just go straight to praying and then halfway through my prayer I realize I didn't confess where I'd fallen short I forgot to adorn his name and I didn't thank him I just went straight to my needs that I needed and so this this is a great um, layout of how we can position our hearts before the Lord when we seek his wisdom and then lastly James uh, verses 19 through 20, as we come to the end here. He says, My brothers, if any, anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This word sinner he uses here is hamar tolos, which means preeminently sinful or especially wicked. Uh, we see the same word used here in the passage of Luke 15, 7 on the parable of the lost sheep, which says, Just so I tell you, there will be many, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who needs no repentance. And so as we think about, as James is encouraging us, um, as we are called to bring back those that are wandering from the truth, don't forget right off the bat, he says, If anyone among you, this is people among you, like people that you know. And so think about that. So people that you know that are wandering from the truth, somebody that is being preeminently sinful or especially wicked, people that you know. Most people don't wander deliberately. It just sort of happens sometimes, doesn't it? It could be lack of abiding daily. It could be lack of community with others, hidden sin, living in isolation, thinking their way is better than God's way. But nonetheless, it still gets them off track and leads them to danger. And so as we are called to bring back somebody that's among us, a sinner that is wandering, 
to bring them back to Christ to save their soul. What, is, what does that look like? Have you ever seen somebody just keep driving off a cliff over and over and over again in their life, and you're trying to pull them back and pull them back and pull them back? That's exhausting, isn't it? Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's just a repetitive, it's that Romans 6, 1, and we continue to sin so grace may increase. It's just somebody just driving off the cliff over and over again, and you're having to throw them a rope and pull them back up. And you're trying to do it on your own strength, and you're trying to fix them. We can't fix anybody. We can't even fix ourselves. And so as you think about it, we're being called to draw somebody back. They have to be able to confess where they have fallen short. And then there has to be a repentance in place. Otherwise, it's never going to be fully healed. And so confession is first. This person has to be able to confess and then repent. And so you have to identify it. Have a repentance plan, healthy next steps. I'm encouraged in 2 Timothy 2.22 in this text that reminds me of. It says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Look at what it says here. As we flee youthful passions and we're pursuing righteousness... It says, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. It's saying flee youthful passions with others that are also pursuing the Lord with a pure heart. We can't flee youthful passions with those that are not following the Lord. We can't flee youthful passions with those that aren't having a pure heart. It's saying doing it with others. We cannot flee sin alone. It reminds me of James 5.16 when it says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. It has to do with others. You cannot live the Christian life alone. You cannot flee sin alone. Too many times we try to flee sin and we're surrounding ourselves with people that are continuous to make us run back to the same sin. They're giving us their opinions. They're giving us their worldly advice. They're giving us the feel-good speech instead of pointing us to God's word and his truth and allowing us to confess the areas that we've fallen short repent from them, and turn back to God and stop driving off the cliff. We cannot live the Christian life alone. Confession and repentance go hand in hand. They work together to bring healing and bring freedom. Healing from confession is short-lived without repentance, and repentance without confession is a myth. Remember, confession, when we confess our sins, you agree with God about your rebellion, you realize your need for God's mercy, and Lord willing, I pray that you receive God's grace through Christ Jesus in that repentance. We can feel well after we confess, but lasting freedom only comes from turning from sin and following Christ, which is repentance. It's a 180-degree turn from I'm going to stop going this way, and I'm going to go this way. I'm dropping off the cliff every time over here, and it hurts every time. I'm not only hurting myself, but I'm hurting those that are continually trying to pull me back, and I'm dragging everybody down. But I'm going to turn from that, and I'm going to go this way, because this is God's way, and it's the best. Repentance is costly. It's dying to your old way of life, and it demands real change. I'm reminded of Galatians 2.20 in that, that Paul says, I've been crucified in Christ, but I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who died and loved me. It's that dying to your old way of life and living a life that honors the Lord. God's way is always best, and it leads to life. I'm going to end with a couple really strong questions here as we are encouraged not only to pray fervently, um, to praise God in our praise when we have joy, not only to pray for others, to confess sins to one another and pray for one another, to call brothers and sisters back to Christ that are wondering, 
as we process all of this that James is encouraging us, a couple questions. Do you love your brother or sister in Christ enough to lovingly call out sin in their life? I want you to think about that for a minute because a lot of times what happens is when we see somebody else's sin that we feel like that we need to call out what happens. We're not that healthy either, are we? It's, it's that passage that Jesus says we have to take the log out of our own eye before we can bring out a speck in another. A lot of times we notice other people's issues. We notice other people's sin. We notice other people's marriage struggles, their personal sin. And, and we want to say something sometimes, don't we? But the moment that we feel like we need to say something, we're convicted because our heart is not right either. And so we can't counsel anybody truly until we have been counseled ourselves. And may we seek the counsel of Jesus Christ himself and others that we can trust. And that starts with confession of sin and repentance, which brings healing. And then we're able to help others. Another question, do you love others that don't know Christ enough to share Jesus with them? Do you love others enough to share Jesus Christ with them, those that don't know Jesus? Because the bridge is out, my friends. The bridge has been out for a long time. It's been out for a long time. And again, a lot of times we see people that have a need for Christ. We see people that have a need for salvation, but what keeps us from talking to them? Is it confidence that you're going to say something wrong? Lack of confidence? Is it I'm not the right person? Is it I'm not well-versed enough of God's word? Because let me tell you something. If you have faith in Jesus Christ and he is your shepherd, he's the overseer of your soul, you have a story. You have a story to share. People are driving off the cliff. We have lost people all around us that are among us, as James says. May we seek the Lord and find our confidence and find our strength from him to be able to love others well. James ends this letter very abruptly here, but I love how he bookends it because it's a strong reminder of how we're called to love others. It's a, this, this whole book of James is very practical, but it's very strong. It calls us how to love others and fulfill the law of Christ, how to confront those who have wandered from a living faith and to pursue them where their souls will be saved by Jesus Christ, reminding them of what Jesus has done. Not only reminding them, but reminding us. Because I love this whole book of James, because it talks about just basically a living faith, a faith that's not dead. And too many of us have a dead faith. We're not awake. We're not living out the one another's of Scripture. We're not abiding with the Lord. We're not seeking the Lord in prayer, and we're not loving others well. Too many of us know people all around us, among us, as James says, that are driving off the cliff, and we're living a faith that's not alive, a faith that's not fruitful, a faith that's not pointing people to Christ. We act like we have it all together, but we're broken. And our brokenness is keeping us from sharing God's love with others. And may we confess where we have fallen short. May we seek the Lord for healing so that we can point others to the one that brings the spiritual healing, which is the most important. Amen? So next week as we come for a prayer service, next week as we come to commune together with the Lord's Supper, as we continue to pursue God with faithfulness, and to get our heart right before the Lord. May God use not only this message that we've learned today, but this whole practical letter of James, where we can apply it to our life, where we have a living faith that's fruitful.
that points people to Christ, the Savior of the world, the one that's the overseer of our souls. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this text. I thank you for how it's encouraged in my hearts. My heart is I am just heavy burdened on many things. And I'm thankful for just a reminder of how you are calling us to pursue you with complete confidence and faithfulness and boldness for finding wisdom in you, practical advice to what it looks like to be reminded of just to come into you to seek your wisdom and your faithfulness in our suffering, in our prayer life, in our needs, in the needs of those around us. And Jesus, as we are just encouraged today to to ask for prayer when we are going through hardships and trials, to praise your name when we're going through um, glorious, joyful times, to not forget who allows us to have the joy. And Jesus, I... I thank you for your word reminding us that confession of sin brings healing. It brings freedom. And I pray for my friends in the room and our friends in Edgewood this morning that for anyone in the room, anyone listening online that is struggling, that is living in shame and fear and isolation, that is just physically and spiritually exhausted, that they are beat down and they are broken, I pray that they would be reminded of that you are the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the creator of the world, the savior of the universe. That you are the one that we should put our faith in. You are the one that we should find our hope and healing in. You are the one that restores. You are our refuge and our strength. You are ever present in times of trouble. And I pray for my friends today that they would confess where they have fallen short to somebody that they trust. And they would find healing that they would confess that they're a sinner and they're separated from God if they don't know you. And they would find their spiritual healing today in the Savior of the world. And Father, I, I pray that as we go throughout this week that you would teach us to live a faith that's alive, to live a faith that's active, to live a faith that's not dead. But may we have a living faith that's fruitful so that we can not only serve you and love you, but we would be a blessing to others and not, not a killjoy, not a burden, not a stumbling block. But may our life be a picture and a model of Jesus Christ. We love you, Father. It's in your precious name.